What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Copon, and this is Lift and Learn, Episode 1. And damn, that actually gets me so excited to say out loud because I literally just came up with that idea the other day, or sorry, that name the other day. I've been working really hard on this podcast for a few months now, since even before the pandemic started. Not putting too much pressure on myself, but the fact that I found a name seemed to just legitimize everything, you know? I thought it was perfect for what I'm trying to accomplish here on this podcast. A key part to being healthy in the long term is exercise, of course. And by exercise, I mean lift, aka resistance training, which is one of the best things you can do. So that's lift and learn, because I hope that everyone listening to this podcast could learn something from anything that I say on here. Now, I'm not claiming to know everything about maintaining a good health or maintaining a good and healthy lifestyle, but I like to think I've been a pretty good personal trainer for the past few years now, and hopefully on this new platform, I can impact someone's life in a positive way. So with that being said, let me introduce myself. Like I said, my name is Isaiah Copon, and I've been a personal trainer in the GTA, that's the greater Toronto area, for those who don't know, and I've been a PT since, what is it, 2015, So I'm pretty new to the game, about five years into it, and I'm taking another step in my journey by starting this podcast. And also, you can follow everything else I do fitness-related on Instagram, at isaiah.copon, I-S-A-I-A-H dot C-O-P-O-N. So yeah, I'm five years into my personal training journey, and I've loved it so far, constantly trying to learn every day, you know how it is. This podcast is mainly to help you guys listening to this, but I think it'll actually help me communicate topics better with my clients too. So how did I get into the fitness industry? Well, I'm glad you asked. For me, it wasn't really a straightforward journey for me coming from high school. I never really knew what I wanted to do when I was in high school, so I stayed back a year, took a good old victory lap. Eventually, I decided to go into computer science because I played a lot of video games when I was growing up. Well, my dream growing up actually was to work for Google one day because I'm really into technology and I still am today. Computer science, though, that was, oh gosh, that was so hard for me, even though it would have been awesome to stick to because of the way the industry has, I mean, it's clearly skyrocketing and will continue to grow, but it really wasn't for me. Coding was really hard, and I went in not knowing too much about anything, really, about computer science besides taking some high school classes, so I ended up doing that for two years before dropping out, but I kind of knew from day one that wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really my passion. Oh man, I still remember the first week of it. Everyone seemed like they knew what they were doing, and I made a small group of friends in the first week, and they were talking about how they knew, like, so many different program languages or whatever some I never even heard of and I was like wait really that's what you did for your summer vacation you coded in your room and learned new languages yeah okay meanwhile I'm over here and all I did was take one or two courses in high school but that definitely didn't prepare me for it 
I actually still remember this one time we had to code a program or something on a piece of paper in a movie theater, and that was the exam. Just thinking about that right now, I might get nightmares actually tonight. I was so unprepared for that. Imagine coding on a piece of paper when I could barely do it on a computer without checking every few seconds if there was a mistake with the compiler or whatever. So yeah, that didn't work out. And then after that, I took another year off, still not really knowing what to do. So growing up, I was really into sports, but at the time, I mean, I was 21 or 22 years old at this point, I didn't really do anything active besides like the occasional pickup run or pickup basketball run with friends. I did happen to remember during this time off, though, that a lot of the good memories I had growing up was when I was playing sports or just being active in general. So eventually, I decided to apply to fitness and health promotion at a few colleges near me. Uh, shout out to Hush Sheridan and Humber, but when I came down to it, though, eventually chose to go to Humber College, and the rest is history. Uh, I made some great friends there, gained some knowledge, and more importantly, I found something that I love to do, and hopefully I can continue to do it for as long as I want to. So after I graduated, my first client was actually one of my good friend's girlfriend at the time, and that's what really got me started. I saw this girl change her life before my eyes. She was pretty overweight when I met her. Uh, she told me that all her life she thought losing weight was impossible. She'd done every diet or whatever. Fast forward about a year later, she was down 75 pounds, eating much better, and it took us almost two years for her to actually be able to squat her own body weight. But that was a really big accomplishment for her because on day one, it was actually tough for her to even be in a half squat without holding on to something with both hands. It was a long process for her, but I could see her mood change weekly. At first, she'd be constantly putting herself down. She was canceling a few sessions in the first month we were together. She would never smile. She'd tell me constantly that she hates herself, hates working out, hates the gym. One thing she'd do is she'd look at the time. I remember this because she'd be glancing at the TVs in the gym sometimes. I asked her which TV she was watching because this gym I was training her at usually had the food channel on some of them for some reason. Well, she told me that she was just checking the time because she's actually visualizing herself at home in bed eating a pizza and watching TV right now instead of being at the gym. After a few months though, her mentality really started to change. She'd be showing up early to do her warm-up and her light cardio and wanting to do more sessions a week. So we did that and continued to make progress for about another year or so. And then about 18 months into it since we first started working together, and I actually remember this because it was a few days before my birthday in 2016, uh, we both just hit our weight loss goals on the same day actually, and I think at that point I just finished cutting 15 pounds off and she cut 75 pounds off at that point. And then this client, she came up to me, told me that I really changed her life and she thanked me for helping her and I just remember it threw me so off guard because I was still a pretty new trainer at the time but after she told me that man made it all worthwhile. I actually still keep in touch with her to this day but she's not necessarily a client of mine anymore. We ended up working together for about four years in total and she's managed to take control of her own life now which is pretty cool. She knows what she needs to do 
for her to stay a healthy weight or just be healthy in general, and she's been pretty consistent about it ever since. Sometimes she'll occasionally ask me questions about certain things like manipulating macros or food, and we'll talk about it, I'll give her my advice, but she's basically able to do it on her own now. She works out three times a week and she's managed to keep the weight off after all of these years, which is actually hard to do because I don't know if you heard, but most people who actually lose weight gain it back soon after and in some cases they actually gain even more weight than they had initially. But she's managed to keep the weight off because she's learned how her body works over the years and it probably helped that I was around to teach her how to eat, sleep and exercise properly. And in most cases, as a personal trainer, you're going to have to repeat yourself over and over again for a client to understand what it is you're trying to teach them. And to those listening to this podcast right now, you'll probably get a dose of that too because the topics I cover will eventually overlap because being healthy takes into account so many different factors. You have some off days in the gym. Maybe you're not sleeping well. Maybe you didn't eat properly. Your weight went up even though you've been eating well lately. Well, maybe you didn't sleep well, and maybe you ate foods that caused a little bloating. I may repeat myself a bunch of times, but that's usually what it takes for you to actually get it and understand it, and maybe explaining it another way will have it click for you so that you can incorporate it, whatever it is, into your life. At this point, I've learned that that's just part of the job because no client is going to listen to everything you say the first time you say it. I mean... That's That would be a miracle. Be honest, you hate when people tell you what to do too. I know it happens to me all the time. And that's why I'm going to have to repeat myself. You might have heard that saying, changes from within. That means it's ultimately up to you if you want to change something in your life, whether that be positively or negatively. A personal trainer's job is to improve other people's quality of life, and that encapsulates a whole lot of things, not just diet and exercise, even though that is a significant part of it. And no, I don't know if I'm using the word encapsulate properly, but I think you get the gist of what I'm trying to say. So episodes for this podcast will go a little something like this. The first five or ten minutes or so, I'll just recap what I'm doing in my life or current events. I won't have to introduce myself every week since I just did it, so that's good and out of the way. I'll probably talk about my training and diet and how the gyms have been since in my area it's been open for about six weeks now and I've been seeing great progress so far so hopefully that continues. So the first five or ten minutes it'll be about training, diet, whatever current events might be going on and then after that we'll get into the fitness portion where I'll talk about two or three topics and dive deep into whatever those are. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. And guess what, guys? I've actually already pre-recorded all the episodes for the rest of the year. And now that you know a little bit about me, let's get into the health and fitness part of this episode, finally. So here we go. Lift and learn. Episode one. Let's go. Can you please explain calories in versus calories out for weight loss or weight gain? So first off, I told a few clients of mine about my podcast early so that I could gather some questions from what they wanted to know about, and this is one of them. 
going forward though i do hope to have some listener inputs for for, uh, specific fitness and health questions that you guys want to hear more about so if you want me to cover anything specifically then message the instagram page for this podcast at lift and learn podcast Anyways, so a client asked me to explain a bit more about calories in versus out. And you've probably heard this before, calories in versus calories out, but what does that mean exactly? Well, at the most basic level, it means to manipulate your weight, you have to either burn more calories than you're eating to lose weight, and or eat more calories than you burn to gain weight. And yes, there can be exceptions to the rule, and I'll get into that in another episode where I'll go more into depth about the actual macronutrients, carbs, fat, protein. So you need to burn more calories than you eat to lose weight. You need to eat more calories than you burn to gain weight. And now you're saying, fine, okay, how do I do that? I'll tell you how, but it's going to take a little bit of explaining. So a few terms are going to come into play here. We have BMR, which stands for basal metabolic rate, and that's how many calories you burn at rest, doing absolutely nothing. If you were to lie down in bed all day, this number tells us how many calories you burn just living every day due to your body doing multiple functions all the time, like regulating your body temperature and doing things you need to live, like breathing, which includes things you don't even think about on a daily basis, like contracting and expanding the lungs. Next up, we have TDEE, which stands for Total Daily Energy Expenditure, which is the total amount of calories you burn daily. So BMR is calories you burn at rest, and TDEE is the amount of calories you burn daily. And we're going to need this TDEE number to figure out how many calories you should be eating to transform your body. So if you go online, you can actually find things like a BMR and a TDEE calculator, and you'll plug in something like your age, height, current weight, and probably your gender too. After that, it'll give you an estimated BR and TDEE from whatever numbers you plugged into some complex equation. So it might tell you something like you burn 1,400 calories daily when you're just at rest, and it'll give you a higher number for TDEE. Now that TDEE number takes a few things into account to figure out how many calories you burn daily. It includes the BMR, which is how many calories your body burns at rest, and also includes things like the TEF, which stands for the thermic effect of food, which is about 10 to 15% of the calories you burn during the day. There's NEAT, which stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and EAT, exercise activity thermogenesis. So basically, BMR plus your daily regular life equals TDEE, which again is your total daily energy expenditure or how many total calories you burn today living your daily life. Obviously, from person to person, it's going to change because we all do different things every day and eat different foods daily, and we all have unique bodies. So like I said, there are calculators for all of this stuff, but that's usually not the way I'd have my clients do things. I usually won't even tell them that there's a formula online because I don't want them to plug in those numbers then ask why I'm having them eat however many calories when the calculator says something totally different. 
And that's because the calculators are just rough estimates. And if I'm working with a client, I'd rather have numbers that actually apply to them because it gives me a chance to see a little bit about what's going on. So what I like to do with my clients is what I'm going to tell everyone listening on here. The best method that I've found is that I will have a client track their weight on a certain day for a whole week. So I'll do something like Sunday to Sunday. And for that whole week, the client will also need to log their food with MyFitnessPal or whatever app they want to use. If they need help with that, I take them through the app because, I mean, they're going to have to familiarize themselves with it eventually. I even tell my clients that they can send me a picture of their food and I can guess their meal calories if needed. Of course, it's a lot easier with a food scale, so that's a must, especially when you're just starting out because... The food and diet portion, it's going to be just as important or even more important than the exercise part. The exercise part, that's over in an hour or two. Meanwhile, the food or diet part, that's a constant battle for the other 23 hours because food is everywhere. Okay, so track your food for one week and then see what happens with your weight during the whole week. And this is where a little math comes into play. And part of my job is to do that part for a client, but it's really not that difficult. I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. So let's say this person, let's call him Joe, weighs 150 pounds on the first Sunday, and then a week later on the next Sunday, he weighs in at the exact same weight, 150 pounds. That means that his TDEE, which is how many calories he burns daily, is equal to basically however many calories he ate. Daily on average, of course. And his calories throughout the week might have fluctuated day by day. Maybe he had a day where he ate 1,800 calories and some days he ate over 2,000 calories. But at the end of the seven days, you add up all the calories he ate all week or during whatever span of days you decided to do it. That's why I like to do one full week because it's easy. It's nice and simple. So after seven days, this person ate a total of 14,000 calories. So we take this number... 14,000 and divide that by the number of days, 7 in this case, since it's during a whole week, and that comes out to 2,000. And that right there is the number of calories on average Joe burns daily, and that's his TDEE, 2,000, since his weight did not change from the first day to the last day. Now, as a personal trainer, I can tell you that if you're doing this method with a client, it's probably not going to be as easy as that because I was able to choose simple numbers for the sake of this example. Keep in mind that this number also may not be perfect because of certain things like inaccuracy with measuring foods, especially when you leave it up to the client, but I feel like this is the best way to accurately figure out how many calories the person should eat depending on their goals. Now what happens if the client gained a pound during the week? So on the first Sunday he weighed 150 pounds and then on the next Sunday he weighed 151 pounds, meaning that he gained one pound over a whole week. Well if you were to add up his calories for the whole week, he will of course have eaten more than his TDEE because he managed to gain weight, which means that he ate more calories than his body burned, one pound to be exact. Well, another number that comes into play here and that you need to remember is that 3,500 calories is roughly equal to one pound of body fat. If we're trying to manipulate someone's body week by week, we generally want to move in one to two pounds in either direction, as in when it comes to losing weight or gaining weight. 
So if we want to lose one pound a week and we know that one pound of fat is 3,500 calories, then by doing some simple math, we can factor in days of the week, which is seven. That 3,500 calories per week ends up becoming 500 calories per day because we have to divide 3,500 calories by seven days to give us an average. And that's generally what you need to either add or subtract to your diet for a good weight loss or weight gain. That 500 calories should be able to tip the scale in whichever direction you're trying to go. Most people are, of course, trying to chase weight loss. So if Joe gained one pound over a week, that means he ate about 3,500 calories more than he should have during the week. So on average, he ate 500 calories more daily than he should have if he wanted to maintain his weight. So that means if my TDEE is 2,500 calories, for me to see weight loss, I'd have to eat 2,000 calories daily. That's 2,500 minus 500 to see a pound of weight loss. But keep in mind that this is a general rule and I will usually will not have clients eat under 1,500 calories daily because I don't really think a 1,500 calorie diet is going to be sustainable over a long amount of time. For most people, that's a dangerously low number of calories to be eating daily for months and months. I doubt you'll be able to get enough nutrients in daily unless you really know what you're doing. So to recap, because I might have lost you in the last three minutes, pick a seven-day span where you can weigh yourself on day one and then a week later. Weigh your food and track as accurately as possible every day for those days. At the end of the week, you compare your day one weight with your weight a week later, add up all your calories throughout the week, and then divide that by however many days you decided to do this. In our case here, seven. If you gained weight, then you're in a caloric surplus, which means you ate more than your TDEE, total daily energy expenditure. If you lost weight, then you ate less than your TDEE, and that means you're in a caloric deficit. Remember that 3,500 calories is roughly equal to one pound of body fat, and you'll need to be eating either 500 more or 500 less calories per day if you want to increase or decrease your weight. Now, just because I keep saying 500 calories less will make you lose weight, that doesn't instantly mean that you need to shut off this podcast and cut out 500 calories from your diet today. No, that's not what I'm saying. Any kind of calorie deficit should lead to weight loss, and that's why tracking is so important. It could be 100 calories or 250 calories. It doesn't really matter. For some people, dropping 500 calories right away may not be the best idea. It all depends on a lot of other factors like history with diets and if the client is introducing exercising into their lives. A lot of things come into play when we're talking about weight management. So when I do this with a client, yes, I do the math for what they need to be eating going forward, but 99% of the time, their macronutrients are all over the place. For the most part, I'll see high carb or high fat diets, and I try to slowly bring those down while bringing the protein intake up, because from what I've seen, usually people are not eating as much protein as they should be, especially if they're about to start doing anything active to become more healthy. My first week with a client is crucial to what we need to do going forward. I figure out their individualized, but still estimated, TDEE, but that helps me figure out their eating habits, and that usually consists of eating maybe less than 50 grams of protein daily. I'll tell you about a client I've had in the past because she's actually a perfect example. 
She did everything perfect in week one, ate normally, weighed and tracked food and body weight to the best of her ability. After a few days, I could already see she was consuming less protein than what I wanted her at, which is fine. So this lady was a 130 pound individual and studies show that you should get about 0.6 grams to about one gram of protein per body weight in pounds. So for simplicity purposes, she should be eating around 110 to 130 grams of protein because she's 130 pounds. Obviously, this is going to be a huge diet change for her because she was only eating 47 grams of protein daily. And that would be an almost three times like protein intake bump, which is going to be really difficult to sustain if I told her to immediately bump her protein intake all the way up to 130 grams or even 110 grams daily. So you have to remember that being healthy, it's more of a marathon than a sprint. I had to slowly kind of nudge her in the right direction, but not really forcing anything too difficult. After a week, I gave her some tips. We upped the protein to a goal of 75 grams weekly, and that was no problem for her. She started to have protein with every meal, and that helped us achieve that mini goal. Now in my head, I know the long-term goal is to get her as close as I can to about 130 grams, but we're going to do that as slowly as we need to. So the second week, she was consuming 75 grams of protein daily, which she managed to do. The next week, I had her at 85 grams of protein, and then slowly we got her to 90 grams of protein daily for a week. And now, about a month or two later, or about six to eight weeks later, she's consuming about 100 grams of protein every day, and she's been able to keep up this diet because we, well, we increased the protein intake slowly. My goal there, and it should be yours too, is to just make small changes because that that's what will help make any change more sustainable over a longer period of time. It's easier to stick with that way. This is true for almost every aspect when it comes to the gym or anything fitness related. So you might hear me repeat myself multiple times if you continue to tune in, like I said earlier. All right, so what we just talked about is your calories in versus calories out on the most basic level. But of course, like I said earlier, the macronutrients, that's protein, carb, fat, also play a factor when it comes to manipulating your weight. So let's say two people are both eating 3,000 calories. Person A is eating 3,000 calories of mostly carbohydrates, and person B is also eating 3,000 calories but has a higher protein diet. Studies have actually shown that person A will on average actually gain more weight. That's the carb guy. That's because it's been shown that having a higher protein diet leads to building more muscle, even without resistance training, and that will eventually lead to a higher metabolism, which means you can eat more daily. At this point, you've probably heard that protein builds muscle, but that's not the only thing it does within your body. Protein is also needed for digestive enzymes, building bones, creating new skin, etc., etc. When it comes to weight management, especially weight gain, you can overeat on any macronutrient. You can eat too much fat and gain weight, you can eat too much protein and gain weight, and you can eat too much carbs and gain weight, which is probably the biggest factor in today's society. That's why tracking food is essential to starting your fitness journey. Because chances are you don't know what's in your food unless you start to track it and see and review those foods for yourself. 
If you don't know what food contains what macronutrient, then tracking will help you learn because it's really an eye-opener at times. Yes, it's annoying and time-consuming at first, but the pros outweigh the cons by a large margin when it comes to tracking your food. If you want to make change, you're going to have to do something to get there. After a few weeks or maybe even months of tracking your food, you'll start to slowly get an idea of the macronutrients that are in the foods that you eat on a daily basis. And that'll help you move away from the food scale when you eventually need to, because obviously you shouldn't be a slave to a food scale or even a weight scale. At first though, the food scale and your food tracking app of choice are going to be key to future success. Yes, there are ways to lose weight without tracking your food, but you're going to make it more difficult for yourself in the long run, unless you're going to do some kind of crash diet, which obviously is not recommended. Remember that it's not a good idea to analyze your weight from day to day. What you could do though is weigh yourself weekly instead. This is likely going to be a better strategy for you because you may notice that after a bad day of eating, the scale the next morning could still show that you lose weight and then you'll tell yourself, oh my god, I had cake yesterday and I lost weight. And then that'll just get in your head and then you'll tell yourself that you can eat cake every day and get away with it. But in reality, that could come back to bite you with future weigh-ins after a day of eating more healthy and then you're going to tell yourself, Wait a second, I lost weight eating cake and gained more weight when I ate properly and hit my macros right on? That doesn't make any sense. So analyze your weight weekly instead of daily and that'll give you a better idea if you're on the right path. When it comes to an overall diet, choose good carbs that aren't packed with sugar. You can replace some of those carbs with vegetables which don't contain a lot of carbs but they contain micronutrients which are also important and fiber which leads to better gut health and digestion. Make sure to get your protein in, which is necessary to help muscle growth. Getting it from a good source has the proper amount of amino acids, and ingest some good fat. Remember that eating less fat doesn't always lead to weight loss. There are healthy fats found in nuts and fish like salmon or fruits like avocado. Fat is important for energy, cell growth, absorbing nutrients, producing hormones, etc. And all of these can contribute to you being in good health and having them all balanced will lead to a better life. Remember that being healthy is more than just calories in versus calories out because you have to remember that the weight on the scale is really unimportant in the grand scheme of things. You might be looking up to someone on Instagram and you wish you had a body like that because they don't appear to have a lot of body fat. But the truth is, if you stay sub 5% body fat for so long and deprive your body of certain nutrients, the chances of you having some kind of long-term health problems will increase because having a good balance between exercise and diet is key to maintaining good health and it's more than meets the eye in most cases. With that being said, I know I said multiple times that eating in a caloric deficit should lead to weight loss on the scale. But... You have to remember that you do not want to eat or stay in a caloric deficit or a surplus for that matter for an extended period of time. Just because eating in a caloric deficit means you'll lose weight, you should not be eating in a deficit for longer than maybe six months or so because you'll start to lose the weight loss benefits. Your body will start to slow down its metabolism in order to basically survive on this low calorie diet that you might be doing forever because your goal might have been weight loss for so long. 
So be sure to take diet breaks at times if you notice progress stalling and give your body the nutrients and food that it needs. Do not be scared to eat in a caloric surplus at times because pairing that with exercise will actually speed up the metabolism which could lead to you increasing that BMR and TDEE number and you could actually get to a point where you're eating more while still losing weight. Next question. Are there home workouts I can do to achieve my fitness goals or do I need to go to the gym? If so, what are they? To start out with, I think home workouts are great and the obvious answer here is yes, you can achieve your fitness goals at home. I have some clients today that exclusively work out at home now since the pandemic happened and others I'll see once or twice a week in the gym and because I want them to be active and resistance trained three times a week, part of the plan I give them is to work out at home for one or two days of the week. Now the exercises I give them at home are ones that I feel comfortable with them doing without my supervision, so that plays a factor into what kind of routine I can give them. Home workouts are also great because you won't have to travel far, so you can't use that as an excuse anymore. If you have your workouts set up in your garage or basement, or if you're like me in my backyard area, you eliminate a lot of the time it takes for you to drive to whatever gym you were planning to go to. As of right now for me, the gyms are open here in the GTA in Canada, and my usual gym was just a five minute walk away, which was a crunch fitness, but it got shut down when they opened the gyms again in August. Now I gotta drive about 10 minutes north to get to another crunch location, but when the gyms were closed, it definitely opened my eyes up to the benefits of having a home gym. When the whole pandemic started, I figured the gyms would be open in a month or two since I don't think any of us expected it to impact our lives the way it actually did. So for the first month, I didn't do any home workouts at all, but I did start to go for walks since I didn't have a Stairmaster that I could use every day. But besides that, my only activity for the first month was literally just walking and stretching on some days. After that first month though, I had to do something else. My body just wanted to get moving and I just wanted to lift again. Fortunately for me, I have these dumbbells that I've had for about 15 years now and they're adjustable. All I have at home is two dumbbell handles with four 10 pound plates and four five pound plates. So it wasn't a lot of weight, but it was better than nothing. Other equipment I have are resistance bands, and that's about it, really. I had a pull-up bar a few years ago, but unfortunately, I sold it. Now, if you're new to working out, then you can definitely make progress just doing home workouts because it won't take much activity for you to start seeing progress. If you're used to just going to work, then relaxing when you get home, then there's so much room for you to improve. Even with no weight at all, you should be able to get a full body workout just by being at home. For your lower body, you can do things like bodyweight squats. If that's too easy, you could do goblet squats where you can hold something like a bag of rice in front of you for added weight. If squats aren't your thing or they're difficult for you to do because of some mobility issues, then there's lunges that you could do. Up the intensity by doing walking lunges and that can be pretty difficult for most people. If you're even more advanced, you can step it up and do Bulgarian split squats. From personal experience, Bulgarian split squats were a staple for me during these quarantine months to try to maintain any leg development I had because those were actually really difficult for me, even though I only had access to 35 pounds in each hand. Some more exercises that helped me get through quarantine were straight leg deadlifts, which is a great hamstring builder. 
If you're advanced, you can even try single leg deadlifts, which are pretty difficult and also challenges your balance as well. Let me tell you, those first few sessions of me doing single leg deadlifts, oof, those were pretty tough, even with minimal weight. Upper body wise, you got your push-ups and all of those variations. You can do traditional push-ups, you can make it easier by being on your knees, and you can make it more difficult by elevating your feet onto a chair or something similar. I have some clients doing home workouts right now doing quarantine and they're hitting their back by doing rows with a water jug, which was heavy enough to be challenging. Chair dips are a great one for your tricep area and you should be able to find something heavy enough for you if you want to do bicep curls. A tool that could help you with home workouts if you don't have any dumbbells handy are resistance bands. I've had them for years and you can really hit a full body workout with a good pair of resistance bands, especially if you have the door attachment. That way you can hit your rows or pull downs off the door and you could do some ab workouts with them as well by doing things like anti-rotation work and things like wood choppers. Now when you think of doing home workouts, it's usually what I just mentioned, squats, lunges, chair dips, but something that I've incorporated into my day-to-day -day home activity and my clients is actually mobility work. I've been consistent with it for the past few months, usually multiple times daily if the weather is nice, and like I said, I've also got my clients on board with doing some of these exercises at home too. Honestly, I used to hate doing mobility drills, but now I've seen the benefits of them, especially when it comes to my squat. I used to have a lot of tightness in my adductors, and now I can get into a deep squat with no pain without even having to warm up, which feels great. When I first started working out seven years ago, squats were definitely a weak point for me. And now I'm able to squat with pretty good depth, although there's still specific areas that I still need to work on, like what I'm really working on right now is an overhead squat. And the mobility drills are definitely helping me with that. I've even got most of my clients telling me that they relieve some chronic pain they've had throughout the years just by doing the mobility drills for a month or two. Mobility work can be done every day, but if you're new to it, then just start slowly. I've had clients who had to scale up slowly when it comes to mobility because honestly, it's easy to get lazy when you're at home for such a long amount of time. I tell them to start by just doing a mobility session once a week, then maybe twice a week, then every other day for just five minutes. Eventually, you'd want to get to a point where you're doing the routine for at least 15 minutes a day especially if you're stuck in the house all day in quarantine, not moving at all. And when I say 15 minutes, you don't even need to do it all at once if you don't want to. There's a lot of flexibility there. Doing even something like three to five minutes every hour or two will be beneficial. That's also why going for walks daily, if weather permits, is a great idea too, because you're getting natural vitamin D from the sun. And even walking for just a half hour a day will improve your health significantly. It can improve your mood, digestion, could actually reduce joint pain, and could actually build or maintain muscle, especially if you're going to compare going for a walk to just sitting down and doing nothing. Home workouts are more important now than ever before, especially because there are going to be a lot of people out there, some of my clients for example, who won't want to go back to the gym or just want something more convenient for them. Yes, it's tough to adapt to doing home workouts when you've been in the gym for weeks, months, or years, and you never thought the gym would close, but now we all know that that could actually happen. 
If you spend all your time in isolation or quarantine just lying down in bed or sitting at home and working or getting no movement in besides going down the stairs to the fridge, then you'll likely be in a worse position after all of this is over, especially when it comes to mobility and strength and performance in the gym, and most importantly when it comes to your own health, especially if you're not going to at least go through the motions because your body will forget how to do certain movements properly if you don't do them for a long enough amount of time. You'll increase the risk of injury, especially if you think you're stronger than you are when you get your first few sessions back in the gym, it's the same thing as a baseball player getting ready for the season. I remember back in the day when I used to play baseball. Yeah, we would have outdoor practice before the season started in the spring. But in the winter, which is about half of the year up here in Canada, our team would be practicing in school gyms. Now these weren't intense practices, but we're in there practicing fundamentals and the basics. Fielding ground balls, which are really easy in the gym because there aren't any bad bounces on the gym floor as opposed to a baseball field, which has, you know, all those rocks and stuff. We were in there catching easy pop flies, obviously, because there's a ceiling to worry about and no sun there to get in your eyes. And I even remember a little contest we had where we would be playing catch with someone, and in the middle of us, I think the coach or whoever, they would put a hat on the ground right in the middle of us. The goal of this minigame was to throw the ball and try to hit the hat to score a point. And that worked on how precise and how accurately we could throw a baseball. So the whole point of our winter practices were just to practice these really basic things. But that would be better for us than not doing anything at all. Imagine showing up to an outdoor practice with none of that off-season training. Now the same rules apply when you can't go to the gym because it's closed. You don't just want to show up in the gym when on the first day they open when you've been doing nothing for a few months. It's not ideal and you're probably going to require more time to get back into proper form. You can Google certain mobility drills for whatever joint you need. For shoulders, there are movements like arm circles and swings that you could do. For the lower body, you could do things like leg swings or an active frog position. On the podcast, it's a little bit difficult for me to explain mobility exercises that you could do, but if you do want to see some mobility movements, then you could just go onto YouTube and search for some, or a better option, you can check me out on Instagram at isaiah.copon, where I'll be posting a movement every Monday for the foreseeable future for what I'll call hashtag mobility Mondays. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave me a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday and I've already pre-recorded episodes for the rest of the year. Thanks, guys. See you next week.